Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. And now, your host, Matthew Kanata, joined by co-hosts, Josh Houts and Aaron Sutton. And yes, not our normal intro here coming in right off the bat. That is probably one of the more depressing songs you will hear. The bartender, courtesy of our boy Sutton. My name is Matt Kanata. I'm joined here by Josh Houts and, of course, Sutton. And on today's show, we're not going to talk about the game against the Minnesota Vikings. We're not going to talk about the Dolphins' playoff chances. Instead, we're going to go over the curious case of Adam Gase. We are going to lay down all of the thoughts and ideas that we have, the good about Adam Gase, the bad about Adam Gase, the ugly about Adam Gase, and the things that make you go WTF with Adam Gase. And throughout the duration of this show, we're going to see, talk through it out loud, if we think Adam Gase should return for a fourth season as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. We're going to start off positive, though, after that depressing song to lead you into the show. We're going to jump back into the positive spin of things, and we're going to talk about all the good that Adam Gase has done. And House and Sutton, you know, we'll start throwing ideas out at each other now. But for you, Sutton, and for you, House, when you look at the good that Adam Gase has done, and he has done some good, let's not, let's not be uh, blinded by recency and uh, all of that that happened against the Vikings. When you look at that, Sutton, you know, what stands out to you as the one or two things that you really feel that Adam Gase has done a great job with as being head coach of the Miami Dolphins. For someone who was brought in as a quarterback whisperer, and one could argue even a tight end whisperer, the one position he seems to be really good at is running back. And you can say what you want about the whole Kenyon Drake debate, but we've gotten production for the most part from running back from some unusual places at times as well. So I I do think he involves the running backs a lot, both in uh, the passing game and a deliberate part of the attack. And you also have to acknowledge that he has won 18 of his 23 games with the Dolphins being seven points or fewer in the, in the scoring margin. So you just have to appreciate teams that can grind out victories. His his team seem to be able to do that. They seem to have some grit, and his teams are resilient. We've seen them bounce back so f- from some pretty insurmountable things. 2016, when they made the playoffs, just being able to, to get there in itself. I can remember the 1% club just – just being able to get there was a pretty amazing thing. And we've seen some different games over the years game against new England immediately comes to mind where, where players are just making plays and crazy situations. And so, so you do have to respect that because uh, Adam Gates does have a role in that. And the fact that uh, he is the, you know, he's the tone setter. So to be able to instill that kind of grit, and his players, I think you have to give him credit for that, absolutely. Yeah, and we touch on injuries a lot. I mean, the team has been plagued by him this year, but what he's been able to do, I know Sutton said resilient. I mean, that's a great word to put it because what they've done, what Adam Gase seems to get out of his players, you know, this isn't a Joe Philbin. This is a guy that seems to lead the locker room. He seems to have guys fighting for him tooth and nail. 
sure he had the culture change. He got rid of some of those bigger egos and he has an ego of his own, but I mean, play calling aside, he, he isn't perfect, but he has a team that goes out there and fights day in and day out. I mean, you look at what they've done this year. They, they win games that the other Dolphin teams in the past just have not. And you got to credit the coach there. You got to credit him for just having his team ready to play. And I mean, I know again, it's not perfect. The offense needs work. The defense is atrocious. But at the end of the day, they go out there and they seem to come away with these victories that we just have not seen. And I mean, we're all going to laugh at this, but they are still alive in the playoff hunt. What he's done with backup quarterbacks. I mean, Jay Cutler last year, Brock Osweiler this year. I mean, this team is still in the thick of things and they're right on par with Dolphin teams of the past. I mean, we're headed down a 500 record. We are headed towards that again, but you just got to tip your hat to Adam Gase because no matter what you think of him as a coach, no matter what you think of him as a play caller, what he does good, what he doesn't, I mean, he has his team fighting until the very end and they're going to play Jacksonville tough. They're probably going to go up to Buffalo and that's going to be a divisional matchup. What he's done against New England and Miami these last few years is pretty damn impressive. Uh, For me, it's just how resilient this group is and how well they play for their coach because you know, despite all the, the issues to Chris Forrester's, you know, the different things that happen here and there, you know, they didn't have a bye last week. It was the week one and that was their bye and they played the entire season. I mean, just how well they seem to perform despite the adversity. I think you got to tip your hat to Adam Gase. And they've had a lot of adversity in Adam Gase's three years as the head coach, right? And as we do this show, I, I don't know if I want Adam Gase to return. And obviously we all, I'll know it's none of our decisions. It's one man and one man only, and that's Stephen Ross. But as a fan, as someone who puts money into this team, all of us do, we can certainly make our thoughts known. And as I sit here right now in this part of the show, I don't know. But maybe as we talk through these things, I may have a different take at the end of the show. And you're right, Houts. A lot of different things have not gone his way, right? You look at year one as the head coach. and. You know, he, he had tr- fights through some adversity there, starts off the season really slow, turns it around, goes on that winning streak, and then loses Ryan Tannehill towards the end of the season, right when Ryan Tannehill was playing his best ball. And so the Dolphins are fighting for a playoff push. Matt Moore comes in. Matt Moore gets into the playoffs. They just get there, and then they lose to the Steelers, which they had a very good chance to win. So year one, all the stars aligned pretty much a lot of the right way until towards the end of the season. Actually, in the beginning, it didn't align the right way. It aligned in the middle, and that was basically it. You look at year two. Ryan Tannehill's coming back from an injury. Everyone's excited. They draft a young linebacker from Ohio State named Raquan McMillan. They're all excited about him. They're finally going to fix their linebacker core or at least stabilize it, move Kiko back to a position where he can excel. And Raekwon, uh, before even Raekwon Hill gets injured on his very first play as a professional football player in the NFL on a punt return, Ryan Tannehill goes down in the middle of training camp. And Adam Gase doesn't trust Matt Moore to lead the team, and rightfully so. So he brings in Jay Cutler. And we all know how that went. But even worse, the Dolphins don't get a bye in Adam Gase's second year. Their offensive line coach, Chris Forrester, gets busted for snorting cocaine in the office. He gets fired. He's also the run game coordinator. J.H.I. gets traded. Landry almost gets traded at the trade deadline. And then there's just drama the entire season. So a lot of people, rightfully so, don't look at year two for Adam Gase. It's more of a wash. Year three, Ryan Tannehill is coming back. They're getting Rayquan McMillan back. They just drafted a stud uh, defender and Mika Fitzpatrick. They're feeling good about their draft. They're feeling good about their offensive line. And then the season starts. Josh Sitton goes down in the very first game. After the first game, we played through it, but then he's out for the season. Ryan Tannehill, week four. Current shoulder trouble that he's still experiencing. Started on a plane, which his arm got smacked in the middle of the throw. Laramie Tunsil goes down in that game, which causes the injury. You can't prevent that injury. Devontae Parker, often injured, still injured this season, on and off. Albert Wilson, shredding the Lions. When a defender's arm got tangled with his legs, a shoestring tackle. 
forced Wilson into an awkward landing that resulted in a season-ending hip injury. And on all the other injuries as well, William Hayes, I believe it was against the Raiders, where he's trying not to get the penalty flag and ends up tearing his ACL, I believe it was. People say that Adam Gase, like you both said, has been getting this team to fight for him. And to be in this position where he is now, some say it's an absolute miracle. ESPN ranked them number 32 to begin the season, dead last. They are technically alive for the playoffs right now. Brock Osweiler had to come in for Ryan Tannehill. Two of them were wins. Of the 14 offensive players the Dolphins considered starting caliber at the beginning of the season, three are done for the season, five are out, and several are playing through significant injuries, and I actually think that five might be six or seven. Gase went into Lambeau Field against the Packers with exactly one member of his original starting five on the offensive line healthy enough to dress for the game, and he almost won that game. And then you look at games like the New England Patriots where they beat the Patriots, yes, on a miracle, but they were in the position to win that game because of the preparation, because of the coaching and the execution that was done in that game. And we're going to get to the WTF case, but you look at the Patriots and you look at the Vikings, you're like, WTF. So, yes, there is a lot of good that he's done. Like you both said, the quarterback situation, his running backs have always been good here in Miami. And he's and he's brought some stability to a franchise, and he's made players want to come here and play, even though there have been players who couldn't have waited to get out of here, like Landry, like Jordan Phillips, like a few others who didn't want to be here anymore. So, yeah. You know, but is his good enough to outweigh the bad? And Houts, you know, I'm going to throw it to you on this one to begin things off. You know, what is bad about Adam Gase? Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as you because, like you touched on at the beginning of the show, I mean, right now sitting here, I'm torn. I mean, we saw Joe Feldman get a fourth season. I don't think any of us wanted to see him get another chance in that year four, but he did, and he failed miserably. Dan Campbell came in, and we're sitting here in a similar situation, except. Adam Gase has been extremely average. I mean, his record, what the team has done offensively. I mean, I think they finished in the bottom five or ten of the the NFL over the last three years. Or, well, it appears he's going to finish there in his year three. But, I mean, it's just a guy who comes in here and he's an offensive guru, a guy who's supposed to get the most out of his quarterbacks. And I don't think anybody can sit here and argue that Ryan Tannehill isn't playing his best football under Gase. But, offensively they've been anemic and you will hope that a guy that, you know, Steven Ross pegged that as young Don Shula, as many believe to be this offensive mastermind would do more to this offense. So for me, the thing I look at the most first and foremost is going to be the personnel decisions because you got guys like Jakeem Grant and Albert Wilson in that Oakland game. We talked about a little bit before the beginning of the show in that Oakland game, they were balling out. And I think if you look back at it, they had between the two of them, I think maybe one had 11 and the other one had, what was it, 12 or something like that, reps in that game. So you look at those two guys who I think both accounted for a touchdown, if not two, were arguably your most explosive playmakers. And Adam Gase, before that, had no use for them. After that, didn't really seem to have much use for Jakeem Grant. Sure, he got Albert Wilson involved. But there's just different things throughout his head coaching career that you can look at. Damian Williams starting as soon as J.H.I. got traded over Kenyon Drake. And we see it again this year. Kenyon Drake just seems to be kind of put on the back burner as this third down receiving back, a guy who, you know, gets some touches but isn't the featured back. And you see Kalen Balaji's coming into his own. It's just time and time again you see these personnel decisions that make you scratch your head. And then on top of that, you got the play calling. I mean, you look at the Texans game, that fourth down play call, it was bad. Two weeks ago, I think it was a third down play call, exact same play as the Houston game. It was bad. And then you see these Oakland games. Like the Oakland game, he called a near-perfect game, and some of the trickery and gadgetry that they did was just incredible to watch, and you were proud of him as a coach. And New England last week, I mean, he he has these glimpses of greatness, and then he just comes out with these, you know, this – game plan ready to go and it just always seems to be two or three steps behind what the defense is bringing to you so for me you gotta look at personnel decisions and you gotta look at play calling and those are the two biggest things for me that makes me say you know I don't know that Adam Gates will ever be the head coach that we hope he can be a head coach that can lead this team to the promised land because at the end of the day if this team is going to continue to be you know eight and eight 
nine and seven. What does that do for your franchise? If we make the playoffs this year, what does that do? Because you're probably getting your ass kicked in the first round. So if you look at Adam Gase, and again, I'm torn on him. I don't know if I want him to stay or go because, again, Joe Philbin, I thought he needed to be kicked aside and he got a fourth year. But if you look at Adam Gase, does he have what it takes to take this team to the playoffs, to win a playoff game, to win a meaningful game? And I just don't know that he does. I think you also have to look at some of the coaching changes and decisions that he's made over time, seen a little more cronyism that I'd like to see. And specifically where I think we really messed up the coaching staff. And I don't know that you can put this on on Adam Gay specifically, but I really think we needed a, a veteran defensive coordinator presence there. And I'm not buying the story that Stephen Ross said because Vance Joseph left that I'm not going to come out and pay a couple million dollars to some guy that had nothing to do with Vance Joseph leaving for that position. So I really don't buy that story. So I really think that if Adam Gase had come in and really pounded the table for someone like where Sean McVay, I think, as kind of this contrary young offensive genius, so to speak. He came in and brought Wade Phillips with him, who is an established veteran defensive coordinator. And if you're going to come into a team and come in with the whole play calling offensive moxie and basically, you know, I I don't know how involved Gase is with the defense, but presumably he's more involved with the offense because he's calling the plays and that's, where he's made his mark in this league. So if he wanted to have a quote unquote set and forget type of defensive coordinator, I don't know that we made the right decision at any point in Adam Gase's uh, coaching regime here with the Dolphins. There have been certain games where we just seem like we can't get out of our own way. And that's just not a feeling that's real great for me as a fan. I want to feel like our coach can identify when we're in a funk and do something to get us out of it. I know that's not always the case, but I feel like I've seen it too much in 2018 to wonder if Adam Gase has the situational ability to get us out of some ruts. You know, Matthew, we were there in Cincinnati when we saw this whole crazy thing unravel and we just kept saying to ourselves like we're it's just going to keep getting worse and it kept getting worse you could make the same argument in indianapolis that some things weren't working well and we just weren't able to get out of that rut either then you look at minnesota they i mean they they got more sacks than jenna jameson did in the 1990s so we couldn't get out of that situation either so there just been too many times where I felt to myself, Adam Gates should be able to call something to get us out of this or flip field position in some way or do something to, to, to shift the momentum a little bit because this game's getting away from us. And then one last thing, and I'll send this back to you, MC Money. His press conferences, and I don't have anything scientific here, guys. I haven't watched every single one of his interviews. So this is just kind of my general feeling that I'm getting from Adam Gase at at some of these press conferences when he's asked about issues with the team. I just feel like there's a little bit more outward projection than there is inner correction when he's talking about some of these things. So from my perspective and i don't know how if it's where i'm from or something like that but if i'm the head coach and something's going on with my team i'm going to fall on the sword each and every time and i just don't get that sense from him and i feel like over time that would cause a rift with me as a player yeah i kind of want to touch on that as we go along in this show because when he first became the head coach he would always fall on the sword you would always hear him you know, that was on me. That, that was my mistake. I wish I could have that back. And he still does sometimes. But you are right, son. He has, over the past several weeks, started to throw the players out there. And actually, his latest press conference on Monday afternoon, it, it almost seemed like he was starting to push some blame on the front office. And, and just what he was saying in terms of, you know, guys not doing what they're asked to do and almost implying that they're not smart enough or good enough 
to handle his kind of offense. And it wasn't that he started saying it unprompted. A question prompted him to start talking about these players, and he didn't name them by name, but he named them by position groups and such. And it almost felt like he was starting to shift the blame a little bit towards the front office as an attempt to start laying the foundation to save his job after the season. Whether or not it was just a coincidence, and I'm reading too much into it, remains to be seen, but our answers will come in just a few weeks. So you both hit on a lot of the great points there in terms of the bad about Adam Gase and how you mentioned players playing out of position and him not having any use for different guys on the team when we as fans see the talent that they may have. And sometimes as fans and people who cover the team all around the NFL, we may question ourselves sometimes when we start to question the coaching staff and we may say, well, what am I doing questioning them? They get paid millions of dollars. They should know more than me, so I need to be careful with what I say. But I do think based on previous results of what has happened around the entire NFL, I think it is perfectly logical for us to question things. I mean, there have been draft picks, not only on the Dolphins, but throughout the NFL where fans have immediately said that this guy is not going to work out in the NFL, but general managers due to groupthink and so forth end up picking him anyways, and the fans are right all along. Same thing with players who get the opportunity to play. And while I'm not saying we know everything, I am saying that it is fair for us to question different things about different uh, teams around the NFL and including the Miami Dolphins. Sutton, you mentioned a lot of great things too. His press conferences, yes, we just talked about that. It just, you know, there's a lot of ugly about him, and I'm going to save my ugly for Adam Gase. But already, you know, the bad is outweighing the good. But then again, I go back to the injuries, all the injuries he suffered. I go back to, well, what if he really had his quarterback? But my bad is this. Adam Gase, you came in thinking Ryan Tannehill was good enough to be your quarterback. And I can appreciate that because everyone around the NFL thought that in the right situation, Ryan Tannehill could be a good quarterback. They thought he was stymied by Joe Philbin and Joe Philbin's staff. But Adam Gase, you came in. And you improved Ryan Tannehill, and he had his best season in his career until he got hurt. He was playing amazing football. And then you banked on him to come back like any other coach would have probably done. And then he got hurt. And this is where your decisions started to come into question. You had Matt Moore and David Fales on your roster. I get that Matt Moore cannot start an entire game or an entire season, I'm sorry, because eventually teams figure him out. He's just a good backup. And I can almost understand why he didn't want to start David Fales because you view him as a project. But you bring in Jay Cutler, who had to be convinced by you to come out of the booth, who had no interest in playing on the bench at all at any point during the season. You had to pay him $10 million, which you could have carried over into this past offseason. And Jay Cutler was abysmal. And then this season, you doubled down on Ryan Tannehill to come back. You didn't pick a quarterback in the NFL draft, even though your owner... As reports go, based on different beat reporters, even though your owner wanted Lamar Jackson, and you told him, no, you're going to stick with Tannehill. Tannehill gets hurt, and you have to be convinced to sign Brock Osweiler on the offseason. He comes in, he looks great against the Bears, and then regresses to the mean almost right away. And then you lose almost all the games that Brock started, with the exception of two. And David Fales is still sitting on the bench, not even coming into the game. So for me, your quarterback questioning and decision-making and your judgment is a big red flag for me. And the personnel you've brought in over the years, and yes, you have gained a lot of personnel control since the middle of year one. It's been highly questionable. Another bad thing about Adam Gase for me is the staff that he's brought in. And it seems like a lot of them are his friends or people who have had connections to his friends in the past. doesn't seem like he's built a great staff. Right, so and you touched on it with Vance Joseph and then uh, Matt Burke. It just seems underwhelming the staff that he's brought in, and I think you could see it, and I think that it shows on the team. Let me throw this out to you guys Did any of you at any point, and I'm not trying to be you know exaggerative here, 
did any of you guys hear positive feedback from anybody about the Dolphins hiring Dow Loggins? Oh. No, absolutely, absolutely not. Not one all shred. Heard, all, all we heard from Adam Gase was that Dowell talked the same language as him. And, and remember, that- <laughs> remember that Adam Gase restructured his entire coaching staff this year to make the offense more efficient and more powerful. And it's gotten worse. Yep, and all we heard was that, you know, they coached together in Chicago. There was nothing good that you heard about Dowell Loggins. Yeah. Chicago was excited to get rid of him. That was my impression, too, and that's just why I feel like there needs to be some more accountability. It's not – this is clearly a staff, in my opinion. It's who you know, not what you know, and I think there needs to be a little bit more commodity on what you know. I feel like a lot of it has to do with his ego. I mean, it's easy to say sitting behind a laptop and seeing his – you know, what he does on the sideline, but it just seems to me that Adam Gase seems like he – thinks he knows everything and that he has this ego where, you know, you see what the culture changes. He gets rid of these players who don't quite agree with him or maybe have these big, big personalities. But overall, it just seems like Adam Gase kind of has that, that vibe to him that he just knows more than everyone else. And I think that's what a lot of it has to do with. I mentioned Lamar Jackson. Let's just touch on that real quick. How it's and Sutton. I got a lot of flack earlier for saying that Steven Ross would be angry if the Ravens made the playoffs, and he may already be angry. And I'll just recap here. Uh, Adam Beasley and Omar Kelly, actually, a few weeks ago, Omar Kelly said that Stephen Ross wanted Lamar Jackson. I tweeted that out today. Omar Kelly said he's still trying to dig through it, not to quote him on that. Then Adam Beasley came out this afternoon and said if Stephen Ross had it his way, Lamar Jackson would be a Miami Dolphin. I had reported that the Dolphins had a deal in place with the New Orleans Saints to trade down to the end of round one. And presumably... That would have been their time to grab Lamar Jackson. And that's why you heard the leak after the draft that Stephen Ross was upset the Dolphins didn't trade down. And now it all comes out and it kind of comes full circle here. But Houts, you made an interesting point earlier in our text message thread. And I just want you to touch on that because I think it is interesting and still could have allowed the Dolphins to get Lamar Jackson. What was it? Tell us. Yeah, I don't think any of us can sit here and say, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick was a bad pick because he was an incredible pick, and I think he's going to go down as one of the better first-round picks that we've had in several decades. But in my opinion, I mean, you you look at what they got there in the second round. They got uh, Mike Jasicki. Yes, tight ends don't translate, but, I mean, is anyone going to sit here and say they wouldn't have given up a second-round pick and, you know, some later-round pick to move back up there and take Lamar Jackson I don't see any reason why they didn't do it. I, I get that you don't want to give away future assets. Maybe some within the front office didn't believe he was the guy, but you, you just look at what Lamar Jackson is doing, and you don't know if it's going to last in the NFL. You get that he's a run-first kind of guy, but he makes plays with his arms. He's still young and raw. and I mean, to, to me, he was my second favorite quarterback heading into this draft behind Baker Mayfield. I think that the sky's the limit for him. So I was a little upset when he kept falling and, you know, you, you see these teams that were willing to move out of the first round or, or move back to whatever it was. And the Dolphins just didn't make that play. So to think that Stephen Ross, you know, Lamar Jackson was their guy, hometown kid. He was someone that they were very interested in. I mean, it hurts a little bit because there's no reason why the Dolphins couldn't have drafted Mink at 11, traded back up into the first like we see teams do every year and get their quarterback of the future. Because I don't know about you guys. But if Ryan Tannehill got hurt in those, what was it, five games, I would have much rather seen Lamar Jackson come in there than Brock Osweiler. I would have much rather seen Lamar Jackson run some of these wildcat plays, line up like he's doing in Baltimore because, I mean, we look at the Ravens. We know what they are. We we suffer every year against the Ravens, but they get it. And from an organization standpoint, they just understand it. They realize that Joe Flacco is a decent quarterback, but his time's coming to an end. They moved up and got Lamar Jackson. He's the future. I just wish the Dolphins would have done the same thing. I mean, think about the butterfly effect that it might have if you if you take your scenario at face value where you, you get Minka and then you trade back in and get Lamar. Is Brock, is Brock Osweiler on the team this year? Probably not. Is Luke Falk on the team this year? Probably not. You just invested a first-rounder in Lamar Jackson, so I don't really see any point in having multiple developmental 
quarterback prospects at that time. So then you have roster spots to invest in other positions. And God forbid we actually get one of those roster transactions correct in a position of need. Uh, whether that be injury-wise or just a lack of talent or depth at a certain position. So there's innumerable ways that just drafting Lamar Jackson has effects on all aspects of other facets of the team. If Lamar Jackson was on this Miami Dolphins team, you'd hope that the coaching staff would use him the right way. But I'm pretty sure this would be his team by now. I don't think Ryan Tannehill would have gotten the job when he came back because there were rumblings that – Gase was trying to separate himself and distance himself from Tannehill during the injury. But when he saw that Brock could not keep the job going, he had no choice but to turn back to Tannehill. That's a different discussion for a different day. If we need it in the offseason, we will revisit it. But, uh, you know, Stephen Ross wanted a quarterback in the front office and the coaching staff said, nope, you're not going to get one. We'll kind of touch on that as we go forward in this show. The ugly about Adam Gase, there's a lot of ugly to talk about, too. I'm just going to point this out. Adam Gase, in three years so far with two games remaining, as the head coach, has led this team to a point differential of minus 208. Again, minus 208. That's incredibly bad. In comparison, Joe Philbin had a point differential after three seasons of plus 32. He coached four games in his last season. So if you take that into account, it's a negative 37. Still nothing nearly as bad. And after three full seasons, it's plus 32. Adam Gase will obviously not even get close to being that unless they outscore these last two opponents, the Jaguars and the Bills, by over 250 points, which obviously is that not going to happen. Adam Gase is considered an offensive guru. His offensive rank in points, 2018, 23rd, 2017, 28th, 2016, 17th. In yards, 29th this year, 25th last year, 24th, 2016. His defensive rank, the coordinator and runs the offense, I don't care, you're a head coach. Get yourself involved in a defense. 27th in points allowed. 29th in points allowed. 29th. 18th, I'm sorry, in 2016. Yards, 30th this year. Last year, 16th, 2016, 29. So again, Sutton, even going back to Vance Joseph, their defense wasn't that great when Vance Joseph was the coordinator. Those, that's ugly. That is very, very ugly. The fact that players, when they leave here, are celebrating the fact that they're leaving here is ugly. His 1-11 record on the road in the past 12 games is ugly. This team is Jekyll and Hyde. It is a completely different team, home and away. It's absolutely incredible. But the difference is when you look at the stats, when you look at the numbers, when you look at the drop-off, and Adam Gase has publicly said in press conferences – He's tried everything, leaving for the game two days early, one day or early. Nothing is working for him and his quarterback. And, you know, as I sit here now and I'm reading off these ugly things and I'm reading off these bad things, my tune is starting to turn towards a tide that there is just too much against Adam Gase to retain him after this season, but let's keep on talking. Let's see if my decision will change anymore. How, what about you? What do you have for Adam Gase and the ugly? It's definitely a concern. It's something that, you know, I don't think a lot of NFL teams, head coaches have the same issues. I mean, how is a team a juggernaut at home and then they go on the road and they just look lost? I mean, it's something that is definitely an issue and good teams do not, you know, they don't succeed at home the way the Dolphins do. They don't fail on the road like the Dolphins do. So whether it be that they're getting there too early, like you said, I mean, they just they tried everything, and it just seems that on the road this team is completely different, and it's it's just not a great way to sustain success in the NFL. And I think ultimately, if the Dolphins do move on from Adam Gase, that could be the reason. For me, and we've seen a little. I don't know if it's fair to call it dissension yet, and maybe it's me reading into things a little bit more. But it does seem to be, especially with the Rashad quote, that there is some internal questions about how things are being done. And I think that's not unfair of players to be at this point in the season and be like, how have we not done some of these things that seem kind of obvious? So in my opinion, there's a little rift between the players and the coaches and how things are done. And my ugly for Adam Gase 
and what the players are kind of suggesting in different ways. And Rashad is perhaps even more directing his comments at Matt Burke, and that would make sense. But Adam Gase's scripts versus situational play calling has been some question marks for me. And we could sit here and honestly, it'd probably be best if we had the tape in front of us so we could sit here and discuss the context of these situations I'm talking about. But let's just take, for example, the game that Matthew and I were at, Cincinnati Bengals. And, um, you know, Laramie Tunsil was out of the, you know, knocked out of this game. And that's, that was a big crying point. What I don't understand is if you understand that your left, left tackle is that valuable to your offensive line and Cincinnati has momentum in this game, why are you calling a long developing play action pass with Sam Young who just came into the game? Those that's the type of attention to detail. And I'm not suggesting that he doesn't pay attention or anything like that. For God's sake, he's for all intents and purposes, really smart and an NFL head coach. So he knows a lot more about football than me, but I still have never got the feeling where I either Gase or Tannehill and working in tandem that they would say like, Oh, Hey, it's third and inches run up to the line and go sneak it real quick. I don't think they like have that like game flow sort of aspect to them. I feel like everything is independent events with them. It's like one play at a time instead of like seeing it in real time. I don't know if I'm getting too abstract for anybody, but I just feel like the overall game intuition and game sense, at least Gase working with Tannehill is not there. I don't know if I can put that fully on Gase, fully on Tannehill. Truth is probably somewhere in the middle. But the scripts and the situational play calling just don't do it for me. I have been underwhelmed more than I've been overwhelmed with happiness in terms of Gase doing something amazing on offense. Well, real quick on that, Sutton, when you look at Adam Gase, and if you ever looked at him on the sideline, if you've ever been to a game and have paid attention – he goes to the bench and he just sits by himself and there's, and he has his headset on. So we don't know if he's talking to Loggins. He's definitely not talking to Tannehill. So when you're, it's mind boggling almost because you're the de facto offensive coordinator. When your defense is on the field, you go to the bench in the corner. You don't even look up. I've been to three games this year and every game I've had my eyes on Adam Gase as he, Goes to the bench. His head is in the play sheets, in the pictures from the previous drive. He doesn't even look up. I remember watching him at the Cincinnati game, Sutton. We were both there. We were talking about it. He was sitting there while the Bengals were driving down the field and his defense was trying to stop them from scoring to save the game. He did not look up once. Not once. You can't call plays in a vacuum. I'm sorry. You just no, can't. You, cannot. you have to take everything. So you're absolutely right when you're saying that he runs these things as independent events. It's just, it's crazy to think that he does that, but it's almost true. It, it probably is true. You need to feel the game. You need to feel your momentum. And momentum is a big thing in the NFL. Yes, it only lasts so long. But it is huge. We've seen it over and over and over again in every NFL game. I mean, something we experienced it in Cincinnati. Once the Bengals got going, nothing could stop them. And while the Bengals are driving down the field, he is just sitting on the bench doing nothing, looking in terms of defense and trying to get this team. I mean, as an offensive guy, right? You look at the opposite side and you're saying, what would I do as an offensive coordinator right now? And what should we do on defense to try to stop them? There's none of that. Darren Rizzi is the head coach while the team is on defense. He handles all the challenges. He handles all the timeouts. He leaves Matt Burke an inexperienced and unproven and by all accounts, a bad defensive coordinator to run his team. That is a fireable offense. I am sorry. Bengals drive down the field. They score a touchdown. You need to get off your butt and call plays to counter the momentum, run the ball a little bit, throw some, 
quick passes to get that chain moving to get the crowd out of it. Instead, long developing plays, like you said, Sutton, with Sam Young in there, fresh off the bench, and giving no help. I'm getting riled up now, boys. Someone calm me down. I think you had too much coffee. I hear your heater running. You're just you just need to take a <laughs> deep breath. But I think both you guys made great points. And you just don't wonder if you know this is a first time head coach. You don't know if it's still the offensive coordinator in him. I I agree with everything you're saying because you see it on TV. You see him sitting down there with his little freaking Microsoft Surface or whatever the hell it is, and he's just going through, just looking at, it, just just scrolling up and scrolling up. He he doesn't look up. He's not talking to anybody. And you just really don't see that with any other head coach in the NFL. So you don't know if it's the offense coordinator in him. Again, I keep touching on the ego thing, but I think Adam Gase might deep down think that he is smarter than everyone else. And we see it. I mean, he's smarter than the three of us. He knows football better than, you know, any head coach we've had in recent memory. Uh, Adam Gase is the best head coach we've had in recent memory, but uh, I, I just don't know if it's, you know, again, the offense coordinator in him. It's just a guy who is a first-time head coach. He's trying to do too much. Uh, whatever it is, he just, like you said, doesn't have a sense of the game, doesn't seem to make the decisions that seem just so simple. And I mean, I play Madden and everyone plays Madden, but that doesn't make you fit to be an NFL head coach. But you see these things with Adam Gase, Sam Young, like Sutton said, you, you don't go out there and throw the football when arguably your best offensive player just went down with an injury. You don't take the ball out of your quarterback's hands with the season on the line against Indy, no matter how deep in the backfield, uh, deep in the uh, up against the end zone you are. You you don't run those, what was it, two consecutive plays and throw on third down or do the opposite the next drive. It's just one thing after another. And I think what it's ultimately going to come down to, and as cliche as it is to say, is whether or not Stephen Ross can look ahead and say, you know, my team's better now than it was before. And I don't think we as fans can sit here and honestly say it's any better than it was three years ago. Well, and I could understand if Adam Gase was consistently out-preparing and out-coaching other teams based on the you know spreadsheets and aerials and stuff that he's looking at on, on his tablet, but we've seen completely inconsistent stuff in his opening scripts, and we've seen completely inconsistent stuff in his end-game adjustments as well. So if the in-game adjustments were there, then I can see justifying him being on the bench by himself because he needs his brainiac space. But I haven't seen the consistent production from doing that process. So I think you have to change that process. And this all kind of leads into like the WTF Adam Gase, right? Because while we've listed off great things and good things that he's done, we've listed off bad things and ugly things that he's done. There's also stuff in the middle and stuff that just makes you go WTF, right? When we look at his home and away rates, his passing success rate at home is 53% compared to away at 42%. Yards per average, 8.6 at home, 6.2 on the road. Passer rating on at home, 113.7 on the road, 79.4. That's probably more an indication of Ryan Tannehill than anything else. Explosive pass rate, 10% at home, 5% away. Passing touchdown, 17 at home, 7 away. Interceptions is about even. It actually is even 5 and 5. So then you look at these numbers and you say, well, maybe it is the quarterback. Maybe if Adam Gaze had his quarterback, he can do great things because he's led this team to a chance to make the playoffs with an injury-depleted roster. And he's coaching the hell out of these guys. And these guys are fighting for their lives and fighting for Adam Gase and doing everything they can to win these games. And then that's why you, you start coming in and you say, well, maybe it's the front office. And the guys they're giving him, he's not in agreement with, which is why he's not playing them. And then you look at things, like I mentioned earlier, the victory against the Patriots, his impeccable home record as head coach of the Dolphins his impeccable divisional record as head coach of the Dolphins. The great things he has done with players whose career may have been dead otherwise and come to Miami, and they're good, and they're playing better, and they've revived their careers. 
You look at guys like Xavier Howard, everyone was calling a bust. And all of a sudden, he snapped out of it and is elite now. That just doesn't happen on its own. That happens with coaching. You look at Ryan Tanner, who has played his best ball as quarterback under Adam Gase, and you say, well, maybe if we had something better, Adam Gase could thrive. You look at Albert Wilson, a guy that people had their eyes on, but still, and then he brings him in here, and he explodes and makes huge plays until he gets injured. You look at Cameron Wake, while the stats don't show what he really does, he is having one of the best years of his career. You look at guys like Jerome Baker, who's having a great season, Aminka Fitzpatrick, who's having a great season. Yes, some struggles here and there. That's to be expected of a rookie. But these are the things that make you go, what the hell? Is Adam Gase the right guy to move this team forward? And I think that's why Steven Ross is going to have such a hard decision at the end of this season. Now, with that said, I do think if the Dolphins lose these next two games in embarrassing fashion or just lose them right out, I think the deal is done. But if the Dolphins win these next two games and they just miss the playoffs, I do think Adam Gase will probably be back. Does that mean I want him back? Again, now I'm turning back to I don't know. How it's your WTF moments with Adam Gase. It just goes back to what we touched on the entire show. I mean, the personnel decisions, the play calling, just seem seeming like he might be in over his head at times. The wins on the uh, at home, the losses on the road, just how poor the team comes out and executes. It's just the entire package. And we've talked about throughout this entire episode, and I'm still sitting here. I am not sure what I would do with Adam Gase. I mean, again, you gave Joe Philbin a four-season if the Dolphins finish nine and seven, it's going to be hard to turn away from Adam Gaze. Eight and eight, it's probably going to be difficult to part ways with Adam Gaze. But if you look at the Dolphins losing these next two games, if Cody Kessler does what you know, we've seen quarterbacks of the past do. We got lit up by Geno Smith, by Thad Lewis. You got these quarterbacks who just go out there and seem to have days against the Dolphins. Who's to say Cody Kessler's not going to go out there and throw for 300 yards? I mean, that is what the Miami Dolphins do, and that is what I fear will happen. You lose to the Jags at home. You go up to Buffalo, and, I mean, we were a Charles Clay catch and a poor Josh Allen throw away from losing that game at home. So who's to say Buffalo can't beat us up there at their hometown? It's going to be very interesting to see, and as we sat here and talked through this entire scenario, as we talked through the good, the bad, the ugly of Adam Gase, I cannot tell you what I would do. I mean, it, it's hard to sit here and say definitively without knowing which coach they have their eyes on, who they might bring in. But overall, Adam Gase, if he does stick around, he just needs to start delegating better. He needs to give the play calling up like we touched on. I believe it was back in week two or three we said that Adam Gase should give Dow Loggins the reins. And sure, no one wants Dow Loggins on this football team. No one really cared for him coming into this season. No one cares for him now. Get an offensive coordinator, get a defense coordinator, get those established coaches in the NFL that a guy like you said, Sean McVay. You see what Matt Nagy did in Chicago. They got the Vic Fangio, the guy who many are rumored that the Dolphins had interest in. That's the number one defense in the NFL right now. Go out there and get an established defense coordinator. There's going to be plenty available. You might have Steve Wilkes from Arizona, Todd Bowles. I mean, the list goes on and on. Go out there and get these established veteran coordinators who succeeded at at their position, and and just stop trying to overthink things. Go out there and execute on the road the way you have at home, and that should be the recipe for success. I don't know how this season's going to end. I don't know what we do with Adam Gase. Uh, it's a tough, tough decision for Stephen Ross, and these last few weeks are going to be the deciding factor. My WTF for Adam Gase, and there's two really just poor arguments that I'm seeing in defense of Adam Gase that I want to address. Number one is, well, we can't just keep hiring new coaches every year. Well, when was the last time, other than Cam Cameron, when was the last time that we just fired someone willy-nilly? You know, Dan Campbell had his interim head coaching position, but we've went from Tony Sperano to Joe Philbin to Adam Gase. So, I mean, it's not like we're not giving coaches a chance, but we can't keep continuity for continuity's sake if there's nothing worth continuing. So you have to be able to kind of draw a line in the sand and just say, hey, you know, this isn't working and we we can't 
make that decision based on what's happened historically. We have to make this decision here and now and base it all off of Adam Gase. And let us just all state for the record that we would have no personal like satisfaction of Adam Gase getting fired or anything. He's a human being. Like obviously you want him to thrive and be satisfied like we would any other human being. But we happen to be fans of the Miami Dolphins and we spend our money on this stuff. So we're going to say where we side on these things. And I, me personally, I don't think Adam Gase should be the head coach going forward. I'll just be blunt. And let me address the other very poor argument, in my opinion, one that I've seen on ESPN recently, and it's this. Well, Adam Gase is 7-7, seven and seven, despite the fact that we're 29th in offense and 30th in defense. Okay. On the surface, yes, that is absolutely true. But 29th in offense is measured in yards, and 30th in defense is measured in yards. And if you compare that against 23rd in scoring versus 27th in scoring, it makes your argument already a little bit weaker. But then when you go forward, you look at an offense that six times has had 20 points or less. After the first three games, the Miami defense was in the top five, I believe, and scoring, but then you give up 38, 27, 28, 32, 42, 6, thank you, Sam Darnold, 31, 27, 17, thank you, Josh Allen, 33, 41. Do you think that not skews the, the data set a little bit? So how can you sit there and look at a team no matter whether you rank them 23rd in scoring or 29th in offense or 27th in scoring and 30th in defense and not say that coaching doesn't have anything to do with it. Yeah, you can look at the record and say, yeah, they're 7-7, seven and seven, but why is he given credit for that when it's far more likely the stats represent an incredibly inconsistent team? Doesn't that make way more sense to everybody than Adam Gase is such a great coach and he is overcompensating for a really bad offense and a really bad defense that he has nothing to do with? Please, people, how can you say that a head coach has nothing to do with the fact that teams are in the bottom quartile where they're ranked yardage or scoring wise. And, you know, 23rd is just barely escaping the bottom quartile. So don't get too cute with me, but how do you give him credit for that wild inconsistency in my opinion, which is the more salient conclusion from this data set? How do you, how do you, how do you give him, how, how is this proof that he's rising above the ashes? I just don't get this narrative right now. I'm not seeing it. I think the numbers suggest that we're a crazy inconsistent team, and that's why we should fire Adam Gase. When you look at the inconsistencies too, it just doesn't go to the entire team. It goes to players as well. And the Pro Bowl results came out on Tuesday evening, and the only player from the Miami Dolphins to make it was Xavier Howard. And while you will never get a lot of players that make it to the Pro Bowl on a team that's struggling, I think there are players who are deserving to be in the Pro Bowl from Miami, but may not be because of the way that Adam Gase has played them and the inconsistent ways that he has used them throughout the season. Such as Kenyon Drake, perhaps, who's explosive but is not getting any touches. Such as Kenny Stills, who's explosive explosive, but for whatever reason is not getting the ball in his hands. How else I know you have your thoughts, plenty of them on the Pro Bowl and how it maybe goes back to Adam Gase. Well, the Pro Bowl is a joke. I think we've all come to realize that over the last few years. So it's just a glorified popularity contest. Hats off to Xavier Howard. I mean, I know Sutton was still on the Xavier Howard bandwagon. I think the two of us were kind of down on him last year, and rightfully so because he struggled immensely. But what he's done since, he's become a shutdown cornerback, those seven interceptions. I think that's what ultimately decided his fate as a pro bowler. But Laramie Tunsil, I mean, this is a guy who I still think to this moment has not allowed a sack all year. That's going up against some of the better defensive ends in the NFL, some of the better pass rushers. Laramie Tunsil, I think we talked about before the season, if there was one player that this team needed to see take that next step, 
for the future of this franchise, it was Laramie Tunsil. We talked about time and time again, and whether it was the Josh Sitton, whether it was these veteran presences, whether it was just the game slowing down for him, he has become one of the best left tackles in the NFL, one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL. So for me, to see a guy like that get snubbed based off of popularity, it had nothing to do with this play on the field. Do not kid yourself. Laramie Tunsil is a top five left tackle, top five offensive lineman perhaps. He, what he has done this year is just everything that you expected from a guy who many believe was the number one player in that draft. We all know why he fell, but thankfully he fell into the Dolphins' laps. A lot of people say left tackle is arguably the most important position on the offense because it protects your quarterback. Uh, as much as I'm happy to see Xavier Howard get in there, seeing Laramie Tunsil get snubbed is a travesty. And whether it become a whether he's a replacement, whatever it may be, he's deserving of what a Pro Bowler growing up is. What I viewed that as as an elite talent, and that's Laramie Tunsil. Yeah, the only thing I want to add is I just want to have a better mechanism for evaluating NFL players. The Pro Bowl isn't it, as much as I like the greatest players in the NFL getting together. It looks more like a bunch of dudes playing noon ball at the YMCA and just kind of shooting the crap. So that's not something I really want to invest a whole lot of time or energy in and watching it as a fan. But I do want to have a better way of recognizing and signifying who the best players in the NFL are. Uh, I certainly hope that Xavier Howard uh, continues his upward trajectory. I'm sure we'll talk about him a lot in the offseason because he's going to be a lightning rod, I think, in, in terms of what the organiz- organization does with him going forward. But congratulations to Xavier. Laramie Tunsil, in my opinion, is one of the best, if not the best, young left tackle in the National Football League. So I want to give him some props too. You can make some arguments about some players that we've had that we had a smaller sample size with who possibly could have made some noise who we lost earlier in the year. But, uh, you know, I it'd be nice to have more Dolphin players on there, but I'm not necessarily that worried about uh, Pro Bowl voting because I know it's inherently a completely ludicrous process. Yeah, it is a ludicrous process, but – it does mean something to the players and they do have incentives in their contracts. And it is nice sometimes to see the recognition for Miami Dolphins players. And perhaps if, you know, they were used in a better way and a more uh, involved in the offense and defense, then they would get the recognition. Some of these players deserve. I'm not saying there's a lot of players on this team. Yes, you're right. on Laramie Tunsil. Absolutely. 100%. I think he's the only one that should definitely go this year besides Xavier Howard. But I'm just saying if other players were featured the right way, perhaps we just don't know what they can possibly do on the field. And that ultimately goes back to the coaching staff. We covered a ton here on this episode, and I did not think it was going to be this long. I thought we were going to spend you know about five, seven minutes on each category, but it just shows the depth of this decision that Steven Ross has to make at the end of the season and uh, the ramifications that it's going to have on this franchise for years to come. I said at the beginning of the show that I wasn't sure what I would do. I said halfway through the show that I was leaning towards firing Adam Gase. And now at the end of the show, I'm going to make my decision, even though I don't want to. And I'm going to talk myself through it here. And I'm not going to talk myself into a certain stance. I'm just going to talk through it out loud. I I do think Adam Gase is a good coach. I, I genuinely do. I don't think he's a good head coach or a great head coach. I think he lacks in certain areas that are needed to be a successful head coach. I don't know that he cares about the defense enough to be a head coach. I don't know that he has the feel of the entire game of the entire team to be a head coach. I think ultimately Adam Gase will be a guy if he gets fired after this season, who will become an offensive coordinator somewhere again, who will find success, who is a great offensive coordinator, and will probably get another shot in a few years down the road. If he doesn't get a shot after this season, if he's let go, I just don't think he would. 
I think he'd go the coordinator route if he jumps back into it. But I think he could be, you know, kind of like a Ken Wisenhut type deal or a Mike McCoy type deal who goes back to being an OC or a Todd Haley type deal who goes back to being an OC and who eventually jumps to try to get a head coaching spot in the near future. I mean, maybe he's like Josh McDaniels. I mean, the yeah. the National Football League is an exercise in the Peter principle. So you're always trying to find out if this quarterbacks coach is actually going to be a good offensive coordinator or if he's only really a good quarterbacks coach. And you can work your way up the ladder. You can say, Adam Gase, is he a – could he be a good head coach or is he only going to be a good offensive coordinator, which he has shown uh, on his resume. So it's always a measure of can this person handle this next level of responsibility or are they better suited at this kind of secondary position? And we, we see that play out every team, every single year. And not that there's anything wrong with it either. Wade Phillips is a fantastic defensive coordinator, but not a good head coach. As of right now, and I always have the right to change this, but as of right now, I think it's just time to move on from Adam Gase. Houts, you're on the spot. For me, unless you're getting a Jim Harbaugh, Lincoln Riley, you know, the next up-and-coming offensive coach, defensive coach to take these young guys to the next level, I don't see us moving on from Adam Gase. I'm not sure it's the right move. I think you got to at least allow this guy to go out there and get someone that isn't Ryan Tannehill to play quarterback. Uh, I like Ryan Tannehill. I like what he does. But Adam Gase needs to be able to hand choose his guy. I think that's what Stephen Ross is going to allow him to do. I mean, this is the guy that got in a helicopter to go out and get Jeff Fisher. So I'm not quite sure I really trust what Stephen Ross may do. If he does fire Adam Gase, who's to say he doesn't hop on a helicopter? And I'm joking. Guys, I'm just joking. But my biggest, <laughs> my biggest fear is that this dude fires Adam Gase, hops in a helicopter, and gets Jeff Fisher full control of the franchise. I mean, it's something that I could see at. I could see Stephen Ross doing. Please, God, don't allow it to happen. But for well, me, I think we're going to keep Adam Gase. I think that's the way to go unless you have a significantly better upgrade. Well, then everybody should come to my purgatory parties if we hire Jeff Fisher because uh, my idea was to have Jeff Fisher's face on a dartboard every time we finish eight and eight and we'd have a purgatory party so i could imagine we'd have be having a lot of those types of parties i've already been on record i i think we should probably move on from adam gase and um in terms of potential fits right now i think over time there'll be some more clear candidates i i think it's still murky waters at this point so much football left for a lot of clubs out there we don't really know uh, who the, you know, kind of sexy targets are at this point. But I think it's it's time to move on. And, and one thing that I failed to mention with Adam Gase and finishing 7-7 seven and seven this season so far and having a crappy offense and a crappy defense is that we're tied for fourth and turnover margin. One of the biggest factors that I have seen in terms of statistically successful football. And I, I don't think you can ignore that. A lot to digest, a lot to think about. Fortunately, none of us will be making the decision at the end of the season. That is up to Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins. This was a jam-packed show with lots of information, lots of insight, lots of analysis. I know it was lo much longer than we normally go, but it is a very important topic and one that will shape the future of this franchise for years to come. That's going to do it for us. On this episode of Finsider Radio, we'll be back later in the week with our preview of the Jacksonville Jaguars game. Until then, for Aaron Sutton and Joshua Houts, I am Matt Kanata. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. That was Finsider Radio, part of the Finsider.com and the SB Nation Network. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, because we're the Miami Dolphins.
Bucks football team. We drink the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Yes, we're the Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins, Miami Dolphins number one. Everybody, Miami I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.